0: Well, turn with me now in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to read briefly from Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 through 22. When I was a little boy, pastors would read from Genesis 6 through 9 and say the name Noah, and I would sit in the back grinning and blushing, because I was a Noah. And uh, 15 years of pastoral ministry until last summer at White Lake, I had never taught or preached on Noah, because I find it weird having that name come out of my mouth. But it's Hebrews 11, and it's about Noah, so here we are. I have to do it anyway. Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 through 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence, so God looked down, looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and outside with pitch, and this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, its width fifty cubits, and its height thirty cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing flood waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing on, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of, all, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him. So he did. Amen. One thing that is striking, if you are reading through the book of Genesis, as maybe some of you are here in the month of January, if you've restarted your reading through the Bible in a Year program, and you start with Genesis is that you notice right away the heroes are not very talkative. This story introduces us to Noah. We have a chapter and a half of backstory, the family of Noah in chapter 5, the scene that the world that Noah occupies in chapter 6, and then the commission or call to Noah in chapter 6, the second half. Even on into chapter 7, we have a record of the coming of the flood, the building of the ark, Even then on into chapter 8. In fact, the first time Noah talks is the very end of his life. When he blesses his sons and curses one of them. He's not a talker. But verse 22 says, thus Noah did. His faith, as we are about to read about in Hebrews 11, was not found in his conversation. But his action. Noah was given commands by God, and he obeyed. He did them. With this in mind, turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Our sermon this morning is from Hebrews chapter 11. We'll read verses 5 through 7. Hebrews 11 verses 5 through 7. And we're looking at two men this morning, Enoch and Noah. They follow up Abel, their predecessor, as they unpack this concept of what is faith. And they illustrate it for us. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 5 through 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, By which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Amen and amen. In the forest behind our farmhouse, there was one great big tree that grew up beside an old longing road, logging road. It was down below the sap house. And one spring, I thought to myself, I'm getting pretty good with this mountain bike. I think I'll jump on my bike and ride down past the sap house. Do you guys know what a sap house is? That's where you take the sap and you turn it into maple syrup. And I'm going to bike down past that onto the old logging road, down through the woods, and I'm going to just have some fun tearing up the springtime mud in the woods. As I pedaled past the old sap house, down the hill into the logging road, I saw the great big tree. Tall and straight and thick and round, only something dramatic had happened over the winter. It wasn't vertical, it was horizontal. It had come down over the winter and was stretched out across the old logging road, and there was no way to get a mountain bike around it. You could try and drag one over it, but there it lay, sunk deep in the mud of the soil of the forest. I went around the back side of it and looked at this massive structure of roots and there were rocks stuck between the roots that had come up out of the ground as the roots were pulled up. And it is striking to have in my mind, and hopefully if I've done even a remotely good job rhetorically in your mind, a picture of this giant tree with its vast branches with its massive root structure and to realize it doesn't matter how tall you get, or how big or round, or how deep or wide your roots, like that tree, each and every one of you is coming down. One day, you will die. It doesn't matter how much wealth you acquire. It doesn't matter how much health you maintain until the very day you die. You will most certainly die. And that is why it's important for us to both hear and receive the good news that's in these verses. The gospel that is for us this morning. That faith in God saves from death. We will almost certainly come crashing down. You will. So you must have faith in God. It alone saves from death. To do this, well, let us walk with God in life. Faith in God is walking with God in life. Let's let's unpack this a little bit this morning. Notice in verses five through seven, we're introduced to two more. We call them heroes of the faith. Kyle in the adult class this morning noted that heroes are not always heroic. This point has been made many times and it's worth making. Of Enoch we know very little. Of Noah we know a little more. Including that he wasn't very heroic. As we look at Enoch first in verse 5 we're told that by faith Enoch was taken away. So that he did not see death. And was not found because God had taken him. This historic experience that Enoch should have lived in the world and yet not seen death. Because by faith he was instead translated from earthly life to heavenly life. From temporal life to eternal life is drawn from Genesis chapter 5. If you went through the worship guide, you read from Genesis 5 a few days ago. And there's a rhythm and a cadence to the Hebrew there. There was a man. He grew up. He got married. He had kids. He died. In fact, everyone in the list, including Noah, if you skip to chapter 9, because the last thing that is said about Noah at the end of chapter 9 is, and he died which is word for word the conclusion of every human in the list in Genesis 5, and he died, and he died, and he died. Enoch, however, stands out. He doesn't have a phrase, and he died. Instead, Enoch did not see death. He did not die. He circumnavigated it. Now, of course, being after the Enlightenment, In a very grounded, secular, scientific age, we want to know exactly what that means metabolically, physically. And the correct answer is, I have no idea what that means. I know that it means what we are to understand. If you want to escape death, if you want to defeat death, then you must have faith. Now, interestingly enough, faith, as it is here called in Hebrews 5, is in Genesis 5 called walking with God. Now, we saw this in Adam. He walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden before the fall. It repeats again with Enoch. He walked with God and was no more, for the Lord took him. It repeats again with Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generations. When I read that just a moment ago, I paused dramatically. He walked with God. It is the same statement for Enoch and Noah. That when the author of the book of Hebrews, that is the Holy Spirit, says to us, live by faith. That phrase, live by faith, means walk with God. Have a relationship with God. A relationship with God that is at the core and the base of who you are. It is the root of your reality, the root of your identity. Enoch walked with God. He believed things about God. And those things translated in Enoch, not dying. This is our first lesson. Eternal life, in the words of Jesus Christ, is knowing God. J.I. Packer's title was not an accident. To know God, and he doesn't mean intellectually comprehend. He means know as in husband and wife know each other and there's a baby. He means life-giving union from a love and a bond and a relationship. Enoch knew God. He walked with him. He was united to him. He was inseparable from him. And this point is made strong in verse 6. For without faith it is impossible to please him. God was pleased with Enoch. And this is why he took him from life to life. And just skipped death as a step. It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God. That was Enoch's condition. He came to God. Both In a historical sense, Enoch walked with God. That is, he had a relationship with God. He was perpetually and daily coming to God. He was coming to God constantly. But what is more, he came to God once for all in that translation. He walked with God and he was no more. For the Lord took him. He came to God. The man who made it his life's habit, to every day get up in the morning and go to God, ended up one day waking up and going to God. What a tremendous image of the power of personal worship, the power of family worship, the power of public church worship, that we become humans who every day get up and walk with God. We go to him and we go through our life with him until the day in which life ends. And then we go to him and we go through eternity with him. But so too, it says of Enoch, you must believe that God is. Now, obviously, you're not going to go to someone who you don't think exists. How many of you sought counsel from a stuffed animal recently? How many of you have sought help from a unicorn recently? No, to to go to God, you have to believe He's there. You have to believe in His existence. But do you remember what faith is? Hope in what you do not have, a demonstration of what you cannot see. Can we see God? Have you memorized the, the kids' catechism, the children's catechism? Can I see God? No, God is a spirit and does not have a body like men. But faith is walking in this world with him. I can't see him, but I'm with him. Faith is holding on to the hope that I'm coming to him every day. I will one day, in fact, come to him. Once and for all and finally. To live every day in a position and a posture in which I am going to God. When I go to lunch, I am going to God. When I go to dinner, I am going to God. When I go to work, I am going to God. Wherever I am going, God is going with me because I'm going with Him. This is the Enoch life to walk with God, to believe that He is there. He's there at my job, He's there in my car, He's there on the tee. He is the God who is and the God who is there. secondly, he is the God who is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, we have to be very careful when we read these words because we tend to be sloppy readers, right? We have the world of the internet and the world of the video, and we have forgotten how to read. Let me read the words again. He is a rewarder. The reward comes from God. We seldom mess that up. That makes sense. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek We sometimes slip on that one. It doesn't say casually looks for. Doesn't say indifferently flips through the Bible on occasion. Diligently seeks. This is going to require effort. This is going to require exertion, energy, intensity, focus, discipline. Diligently seeks. Now, the piece that we more often than not drop off, we often read it this way. He is, a reader, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek for Him. And we drop that last pronoun. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek. What is the object of our seeking? Him. Him. He is a God who does not hide. He is a God who does not avoid. And that if we were to wake up and say, my goal today is to seek for God, you will achieve that goal. If you were to say, for 2024, my goal this year is to diligently seek for God, then that will be a successful year. For He most certainly rewards those who seek for Him. Those who pray, Father, show us Your glory. The answer is yes. For those who diligently pray, Lord, show us your will, the answer is is yes. For those who pray, God, I want to know you, to be with you, to walk through life with you, the answer is always yes. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek for him. Our problem is, is that we normally go to work looking for praise and accolades and wealth. We normally go to work looking for success. We normally go home looking for comfort and peace and self gratification. But if we were like Enoch, believing God is there in our home, God is there in our marriage, God is there in our job, God is there in our person, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, if we were to believe God is, and He rewards whoever seeks Him diligently. Would we not make it our first and chief and highest end to glorify and enjoy Him? To enjoy Him. I want to know Him. I want to be with Him. He is preeminent in my life. And every hour that I have spent on something other than Him, I have misspent. To work side by side with Him in the creation. This grows naturally out of the previous verses in Hebrews 11. For we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. This creation. And whatever your job is in it. Was framed. Designed. Constructed. On Christ. For Christ. Through Christ. But so too. That the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That the reality that comes to be. The reality that is coming. Is based in who Christ is. And what he has done. That we should seek God. But seek him in Christ. This point. That we are to diligently seek God. Every day. In everything we do. To live like he is with us. Comes to the tip. To the point. In the person and work of Jesus Christ. That point. Is the point of verse 7. For by faith. Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark. This historic statement recounted for us in Genesis 6-9 through points to this great narrative in which God comes to one lone man who we are told in Hebrews chapter 11 was special because of his faith. But do you remember that the words that were used in Genesis 6, this man of faith, what was he known to Moses as? He was righteous. He was blameless in his generation. He walked with God. Like Enoch, Noah had arrived at a place where he deserved to escape death. Not through his own works. Not through his own righteousness, but a righteousness and a blamelessness that came to him by faith. Now, one of my favorite things about Genesis 5 and 6, having studied it closely last summer for White Lake, is the realization that Enoch didn't call on the name of the Lord, that is, walk with God, because of an idea that just popped into his head. The idea of calling on the name of the Lord comes from Seth, his ancestor. For it is in the days of Seth that men begin to call on the name of the Lord. Genesis chapter 4. Seth teaches his descendants to walk with God. To have a relationship with God. To listen to the word of God and to speak back to God in prayer. And that's how Enoch lives every day of his life. Walking with God. Speaking to God. Listening to God. Having a relationship and a conversation with God. He calls on the name of the Lord. That's what Seth did. That's what his descendant Enoch did. So too with Noah. Noah doesn't come out of a hole in the ground, he's not a hobbit. Noah is a descendant of Seth, and he has learned to call on the name of the Lord. Noah is a descendant of Enoch, and he has learned to walk with God. Obviously, I want to pause and kind of look at parents right in the eye and say, What are you teaching your children? Have you taught them to call on the name of the Lord? Have you taught them to walk with God? There are so many things you have to teach them. So many things you didn't think you'd have to teach them. But you do. But none more important than this. That which you, dear child, cannot see is real. For the one... Whom you know only by faith. He is real. And he is at work in this world. Noah grows up in this awareness of the world. This life of faith. Believing God is. And believing that God reveals himself to those who seek him diligently. This is why Noah is so silent in Genesis chapter 6. God shows up and says... There's going to be a flood. There's going to be an ark in which you can be safe from the flood. And Noah says, Cool. Where's the hammer? Where's the saw? He has learned this life of faith. God says it. That's done. We're not having a conversation. God says it. Noah does it. He lives by faith. What God says, Noah does. Nothing else. It's that simple. That's faith. He believes in what he cannot see. He hopes for what he does not yet hold. Noah is divinely warned of the flood. And he believes the flood is coming. He thinks the flood is coming. He acts like the flood is coming. He responds in a way for 120 years that says, This flood is coming. I believe it more surely than I believe dawn is coming tomorrow, or just as surely. Noah thinks it and does it. He is divinely warned of the flood. But he is also divinely warned of the ark being suitable for surviving the flood. Now this ark is a fascinating thing, and to look back at what was done there, Noah is told to take gopher wood. That's the Hebrew word. I have no idea what gopher means because they never translated it out of Hebrew. The original Hebrew word is gopher. We have no idea what it means. So we never translated it. So children for thousands of years have sung, build him an ark." Yeah, well, that's more like a hundred, but you know, build it out of gopher bark. You know. We don't know what it is. It's covered in pine pitch, it's covered in tar, it's. It's made waterproof. We have a little bit of the spec, you know, the specks. It's about this long, about this wide, and about this high. It probably doesn't have pointy fronts and backs. It's probably a brick. A floating box. As my professor in seminary said, a coffin. It is roughly the dimensions of a global coffin. And isn't it like God... To say, I'm going to bring a flood and kill every living thing on earth. And I will preserve life in a coffin. And the grave will become the place of life. Isn't it like God to look at a cross and to say, that will be salvation? Isn't it like God to look at a hole in the ground covered with a rock and to say, there lies, for three days, everlasting life. And Noah believes this. Noah believes he is such a God. A God who reveals himself in floods. A God who reveals himself in death. A God who reveals himself to be the God of the living and not the dead. So that just as we learned about Abel... Being murdered and dead, he yet speaks. Abel's not dead. So we learned about Enoch. He walked with God and he did not die. So it is with Noah. He believed what he was divinely warned, he believed the word and he did it. He built the coffin and he put all life into the coffin. And he did not die. He lived. By faith. He walked with God. For if we believe. That dwelling in a coffin. Dwelling in a grave. If God dwells with us. That place of death. Becomes a place of life. Yes. For our God. And knowing him. Is everlasting life. There are three consequences to Noah's faith. They're recounted for us at the end of the verse. Noah, having heard the word of God, there will be a flood, there will be an ark, and there will be life. Noah connects the dots, and he builds the boat. He builds the box. He gathers the food, he gathers the animals, all that God has commanded him, he does. And life is preserved in death. To this end. Number one, he prepared the ark for the saving of his household. I'm tempted to be rather direct about this. Let us dispense with any pretense to Baptist theology. Noah saves his household. We are told in 1 Peter 3 that the flood, which corresponds to baptism... He was saved, he and his household. But much more importantly than that, much more than a Presbyterian pastor trying to score points on infant baptism, much more importantly than that, is that there is a covenant head who is Christ. And only by going with him into the shelter of his work can we be saved from the floods of this world. Noah has a true and lasting likeness who is Christ. There is a true Noah, a real Noah, and his name is Jesus. And he has saved his household. He has built a place in which all his household is safe. And even if his household were to dwell in the grave, there they would live. And even if his household were to be gone under the floods of this life, there they would live. For Jesus saves his house. Secondly, he condemns the world. Noah for 120 years is fitting, board together, layering on the pitch and the pine, making it waterproof. For 120 years, he's gathering the food, growing the crops, storing the grain, assembling the animals. For 120 years, he's amassing a farm, a menagerie. And he's applying to his family the laws of God. Japheth, not that animal. We already have enough of that animal. Get this animal. Ham, we have enough of that food. Get the other food. Shem, not that kind of wood. It's gopher wood. Let's make the pitch thicker here. He orders his work, his life, his career, his home... According to the word of God. He sits at night every night with his family reciting the rules. Shem, how long is the ark? Ham, how tall? Japheth, how wide? What kind of wood? What's the recipe for the pitch? Again and again they recite together as a family to the saving of their souls. This is the recipe of salvation. Again and again they review the word that God has spoken. And as the family sing together, recite together the very word of God. And as the family apply to their relationships, to their careers, the very word of God. All the world stands condemned. No one can plead ignorance. No one can deny that God gave them over a century of faithful preaching. And still they did not believe. But the third and final piece is that Noah became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Notice that it says Noah became an heir. He did not possess the righteousness. Noah died, like everyone in this list, not having the reality to which he looked. Can you imagine the day that door came off and that breeze swept up the mountain valley of Ararat and the sun was glimmering on that fresh earth? No one since adam and no one since noah has stepped on the truly virgin soil the grass crinkles under his feet grass that no human has ever stepped foot on grass that no animal has ever munched on for noah it's a new heavens and a new earth but it's not the one he wants It's not the one he's looking for. He is an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He's waiting for Jesus. He doesn't want heaven if it doesn't have God. Because he is diligently seeking God. Not the goodness of God for us. Not the rewards of God alone. But God himself And so he becomes an heir of the righteousness, waiting for the coming of the Christ. Beloved, this is how we are to walk in this world. To walk with God in our lives, knowing that this world is condemned by the cross and we are saved by it. Knowing that that empty grave that we one day ourselves will fill is not the end of the story Indeed, it is for us, just like Enoch, a translation. That's the word the Apostle Paul will use of the resurrection. That it is for us. We are all now, by faith, Enoch's. We walk with God, we die, but not really. We're translated. Death is a translation into eternal life. We, by faith, are all now united to the true Noah. His name is Jesus. And in Him is salvation alone. It is this faith in God that saves from death. The death that Abel experienced. The death that Enoch escaped. The death that Noah delayed. This death has been defeated once and for all in the death of Jesus Christ. So friends, be free today. Be free of the shadow of death. Be free of the fear of death. Be free of its darkness. Live in the light of life. For Jesus has overcome death. Beloved, faith in God saves from death. Walk with Him in life. Faith in God saves from death. Walk with Him in life. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for a beautiful day. And we thank you for a beautiful text. For the great truths of the gospel bound up in these words, that when opened and unlocked, when unfolded, out comes light. We thank you for that light that is shown in the darkness of our hearts, that Christ has dawned on us, that we should understand the reality of this world, that we walk with you in this life in order to walk with you in the life that is to come. Forgive us that we have sought many schemes and have turned aside from the one true search that is alone rewarding. And please grant us the strength, the grace to seek you diligently and to know that we shall have you forever. We thank you for these precious truths. We ask that you would write them on our minds and our hearts, that we would rejoice in them Believe them and do them. For this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.